Ephesians 6, 13 through 15. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. As has already been mentioned, we're continuing on in the what's known as the armor of God. And today, uh, we look at a peaceful soul, soul, S-O-L-E. Uh, the, the Bible describes that we have, uh, as Christ followers, those of us that are Christ followers, that we have shoes of peace, uh, gospel shoes of peace. Gospel simply means good news. So it's, how many know that peace is good news, right? If ever there's a need for good news in our life, it is now. If ever there's a need for peace, it is now, and we're grateful for that. Uh, does anybody know that there is a war on peace in your life? Have you sensed that? Do you sense that there is this consistent... We, this is why some people, when they begin to consider uh, shoes of peace or just the whole issue of peace is why would peace... Um, be something that we literally put on as an armor. And you'll notice in the scripture, in Ephesians uh, here in 6, the first three items it says to put on, the last three items it says to take up. So this is another one of the put on items, like literally you put it on, you bring to your remembrance. Uh, I've got good news for you. You and I, we all have access to peace Uh, Claire mentioned it a little bit ago. Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Um, We all have access to peace. Uh, And then we look around at times and you see those people, they seem to just carry peace. They seem to be, they walk in the room and there's peace. Um, I'm here to tell all of us that they have no more access to peace than any of us. We all have the same access to peace. It's just that's what we've got to get used to is accessing what is already ours and what has already been given to us. So um, this whole issue of war on peace, it's interesting that the shoe that a Roman soldier wore, um, thinking about Ephesians, so Paul, another time he's in prison, he's writing, doing a lot of writing projects in prison, looking at, um, looking at a Roman soldier perhaps, and he begins to write uh, this beautiful, powerful letter uh, to the Ephesian church, and he describes this Roman armament. And a Roman soldier's uh, boot or shoe uh, was known as a hobnail shoe. So a hobnail shoe um, was a shoe, there were two primary purposes for a hobnail shoe for the soldier. One was that, um, because they were like, it kind of looked like this shoe in some ways, but obviously leather. Um, I thought we had a picture. We We do. There it is. Awesome. Yeah, that'll help me. Anyway, now I know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, so a hobnail shoe. So if you can imagine, so it's a sandal, right? They have a sandal. um, And then on the bottom were literally, they were nails, essentially. They were spikes. Some of us are old enough to remember old football cleats, the hard plastic cleats with the metal pegs on the end. 
And if you were a dirty player, you would step on the ankle of the other players whenever you could and try to... Well, there were two reasons for that. uh, And that was similar to a Roman soldier's shoe. This is one of Claire's shoes that we purchased. Yeah, you're wondering, why am I holding this shoe? This is one of Claire's shoes that we purchased for hiking. We were going hiking a couple years ago. And... uh, Claire wanted to have some new shoes for that. And it was interesting because I got to be honest with you, when I saw them, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if that's the best, but we were at one of those stores where they seem to know a lot more than uh, most people, certainly a lot more than me. They said, no, these are the shoes. And I'm like, really? The spikes on the bottom? They said, she will get so much better traction. So the Roman soldier's shoe was, first of all, for traction and stability. That was really the main thing. So when they were in warfare, they were able to dig in, okay? And that's what peace does for us. It brings stability, traction in our life. It keeps us, when the onslaught of the enemy comes in, It keeps us from being tipped over, essentially. And then the other thing, uh, this is pretty gruesome, the other thing, the other reason that they would have the spikes on the bottom, and they were like nails, not as sharp, but they were blunt ends, uh, is literally to break the bones of the people they were fighting against. So they would stomp on people with these shoes when they would fall on the ground. And literally, because of the way they were made, they could break people's bones with them. And it's just a picture. So Paul's picturing this, that peace literally becomes a bone-breaking piece of our armament against the enemy. It breaks the back of the enemy because if the enemy can, can create an instability in our life, if the enemy can create this you know, anxiety and worry that we're living in this place where nothing is ever, we're just not ever functioning at peace, it becomes a place where we can lose a lot of battles, right? Uh, When it comes to the issue of even peace nowadays, in the book Anxious for Nothing, Max Licato, this is what he says, the United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. Congratulations to us. The land of the stars and stripes has become the country of stress and strife. This is a costly achievement. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity, while our usage of sedative drugs keeps skyrocketing. Just between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium from $900 million to $2.1 billion. The Journal of American Medicine, Medical Association cited a study that indicates an exponential increase in depression. People of each generation in the 20th century were three times more likely to experience depression than people of the preceding generation. So there's just this, you just see the warfare that's going on in our lives, uh, especially in our own culture. How can this be, he says, our cars are safer than ever. We regulate our food and water and electricity. Though gangs still prowl the streets, most Americans don't live under Damon danger of imminent attack. Yet, if worry were an Olympic event, we'd win the gold medal. He goes on, citizens in other countries ironically enjoy more tranquility. They experience one-fifth of the anxiety levels of Americans, despite having fewer of the basic life necessities. What's more, when these less anxious developing world citizens immigrate into the United States, 
um, they tend to get just as anxious as Americans. Something about our way of life then is making us less calm and less composed. Our college kids are feeling it as well. In a study that involved more than 200,000 incoming freshmen, students reported all-time lows in overall mental health and emotional stability. As psychologist Robert Leahy points out, and this is astonishing to me, the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Kids have more toys, clothes, and opportunities than ever, but by the time they leave home, they're wrapped tighter than an Egyptian mummy. There is, an, there is a war on your peace and mine. There is an evil intent and an attack on all of us and on the peace that God promises to us. Now, when the Bible talks about peace, it describes two forms of peace. There's, there's this... Uh, there's this form of peace that some would call just making peace with God. I'm not necessarily uh, attracted to that terminology, but just the thought of making peace with God. In other words, giving your life to Christ. I am excited about that kind of terminology, but giving your life to Christ, repenting of your sins, and coming into a relationship with Jesus, right? That is one form of peace, that that is what most of us call salvation, right? When we give our life to Christ, that we are promised a peace peace uh, in our life and that that's an eternal peace. There is a peace that is promised. There's an eternity that's promised. But what we really want to pay attention to is the peace that we need every day, this ongoing peace, this peace that we need in the midst of the worries and the trials and the difficulties of life, the things that try to come against us, the turmoil that we, we see on, on, uh, in our culture, in our society, and in our families. What can we do about that? Now, in John 16, 31 through 33, this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, now finally, now you finally, now let me give you a backdrop. What Jesus is about to do here is go to the cross. He's about to die and he's preparing uh, everybody that's following him. He's preparing them to get ready because it's going to get kind of crazy and he knows it. So he makes this powerful statement. He says, and he says this to us, this is a promise to us. Now you finally believe in me, he says, and the time has come when you will all be scattered and each one of you will go your own way, leaving me alone. So he's prophesying about the crucifixion. Yet I am never alone for the father is always with me. And everything I've taught you is so that the peace, everyone say peace, the peace that is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous for I have conquered the world. The peace, yeah, isn't that awesome? The peace, Jesus says, that is in him is in you. The peace of God that is in Jesus is in you, is what Jesus says, the same peace. Now, what we know and what Jesus was essentially saying here is uncertainty is going to, it's not going anywhere. It's going nowhere. Uncertainty is going to continue. So we need to be the kind of people that know where we're going. If uncertainty is going nowhere, in other words, let me, let me give you a prophetic word today. 
Every, this is a prophetic word for everybody. Here's, here's your life. And here's your starting place today in this moment. And this pretty much kind of sums up what life might end up looking like for you until you die. Uncertainty. There's, we want to believe in hope for these high moments, these awesome moments. We pray for it. We pursue it. But the reality of your life and mine is uncertainty and turmoil from this world is going nowhere. We need to be able to live in this present world in a way that is peaceful and stable. And that's the promise Jesus gives here. Jesus literally says that what the future holds will feel uncertain, but you can be certain of this. In the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of this chaotic world, that you can be certain that my peace is with you. Again, you and I, we, we have the same access and the same peace as the most peaceful people we see because it's God's peace. It's not our peace. We access the peace that God has promised. We access it. We put on peace. We, 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 we put on peace through things like prayer or worship or setting our mind to be with Jesus it takes work, it takes our involvement, it takes our paying attention, it takes our connecting with the creator, right? It ta- Jesus literally, so peace, see peace isn't something out here, peace is literally a presence, and the presence is Jesus himself. My peace, I li- what Jesus is saying is I'm leaving you, I'm leaving me with you. My presence is with you. And what happens is we try to go to all these other things. We, we see all of this crazy behavior going on. It freaks us out. And all along, we're like, I need more peace. I wish I had more peace. All along, Jesus is saying, I'm here. Peace is here. You just have to access peace. You got to begin to t- tap into peace. How many of you have an iPhone? You have an iPhone or an Apple product, like every once in a while. You ever, like, they have that, that strategy every couple of years, your phone freaks out, so you have to buy a new one. Like, they, they say, you know, upgrade your app or upgrade your phone. You upgrade it, and all of a sudden, you can't text anymore or whatever. It's like this diabolical scheme. Anyway, so you go into the store, right? You get into the Apple store, and there's that person at the door greeting, and you're, you know, you, like a bunch of other people, come marching in, and... Um, I've been there, there's like the same process that happens and almost everybody reacts the same way because we're like so tied into our phone or our electronic devices, right? So you come, there's a person that greets you and they're, how are you, sir? How are you doing today? Uh, What can I help you with? Well, my phone's freaking out. I just, I pay a lot of money. This is as much as my car payment and I just want it to work. He's like, well, thank you, sir. You know, glad you're here. So glad you came. Um, And we can take care of that. You need to get in that line over there and make an appointment with a genius. A genius. The genius will help you. So you go, you know, he finally convinced you. It's like, I I just want my phone to work well. You got to go see the genius. So you wait in line with everybody else that's kind of frustrated and freaking out because they're not texting either or they're not doing, they don't know what to do. And then you finally get to the genius and the genius, you know, it's their job to kind of talk you off the cliff or off the, the, you know, 
uh, the ledge. It's like, you know, my phone, I don't know, my life is in this phone and I can't get it to work. And they're like, it's okay. Um, you know, and you're like, what are my options? Besides, I know you're going to tell me I need a new phone, but what are my other options? And then they usually just tell you something really simple. They click a few things and they say, you know, give you, give you the phone back. Or, sir, you can leave if you want and just take the phone. You're going to still have the problem. So, of course, you stay. And within a few minutes, you're like, it's like your world changes. Like all of a sudden, everything is okay. It's like I can text again. I, you know, I, I've learned a couple new tricks. I know how to FaceTime now, and it won't be upside down, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you walk out, it's because you went right to the maker. You went right to the people that have the answer for that particular issue. And that's what Jesus is saying, is what, what happens is we go to all of these other places to try to find peace. We start grasping it. We think that money will bring us peace. We think perhaps that, you know, a different relationship will bring us peace. We think that if we cut our hair different, maybe that'll bring us peace, different clothes. If we live in a different neighborhood, it'll bring us peace. If maybe this month I don't watch TV, I'll be at peace. And Jesus is saying, this is an inside job. And peace is a person. See, we need to be the kind of people that everybody can be at peace when they're holding first place trophy, right? Isn't it easy? When you go into your job and you get a pay raise and it's pretty substantial, that's, a, that, that's easy to walk in peace that day. As a Christ father, no matter who you are. It's like, you know, uh, the person you've been dating, you're deciding to get married, you both make that, you, you get engaged. It's like that feels right and good. It's peaceful. Everybody can be at peace on those days. But what about the majority of days where things don't go like that, where situations come our way that aren't filled that way? It's in those places. See, because that's the descriptive of mountaintop Christianity. If we can only be the kind of people that are at peace when things are up and to the right, we are missing the best part of our life in Christ. Jesus said, I'm peace and I'm with you. You ever, you ever been around those young parents that, uh, you know, they're, they're like exhausted. Kids are up, you know, babies are up, they're exhausted and they're like cross-eyed and stuff. And they look at you and they'll say to you, you know, I, I can't wait until this child, you know, grows up a little bit and starts to sleep, then I'm going to catch up on my sleep. And you look at them and you just kind of, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. And you're thinking, that's not happening, man. <laughs> it's like the, the, the life just keeps going like that. You need to figure out how to sleep right now somehow. You got to get some rest right now, right? There is no mythical place. There isn't all of a sudden unicorns show up in our life and everything is peaceful, and in Christianity, it's not like this mythical relationship that we have that all of a sudden it's peace and sunflower and unicorns in our spirituality. This is a life we're living here, and this is a war that we're in, and there are enemies to your peace that are constantly coming against it. And Jesus is saying, you can have as much peace as the next person. Just access it. 
Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus tells us what kind of the secret is, which he wasn't making a secret. This is what he says. Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with me. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, easy to please, and you will find refreshment and rest in me. Now, it's interesting because um, the language here is, is powerful. When you notice Jesus speaking in these kinds of contexts almost exclusively in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus makes a statement. He'll say, follow me. Follow me. Are you weary carrying a heavy burden? Then he would make a statement like, follow me and I'll refresh your life. But that's not what he says here. He changes the language and he says, come to me. It's a lot different him saying, come to me instead of following me. He's not saying, I'm going to show you how to be peaceful. He's saying, come to me because I am peace. Peace really is a person. Peace really is a presence. Peace is found by coming to Jesus, not simply by following him. Jesus is saying, I'm your peace. I'm so much of your peace that when you come to me, when you, when you come to me and you count on me and you rest in me, you'll begin to live that kind of peace that you can actually give away. That you can access at any time. There's no conditions on coming to Jesus other than coming to Jesus. Come to Jesus' presence and you can access peace. See, peace is closer than we think. That's, that's the problem. Sometimes we feel like peace is away from us. How many of you have ever lost your keys at home? You're getting ready to leave. And like, it's interesting when you lose your key. That's like a dumb question, right? It's interesting when you lose your keys because you're always in a hurry when you lose your keys. You ever notice that? Like nobody's looking for their keys three hours before they're leaving. You are going out the door and you can't find your keys. So you start asking people all over the house, where are my keys? And then you've got the people in your house that say, did you check your pockets? Like, really? (laughs) Got to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Oh, I found the keys. Or we ask questions, right? Like, where'd you move my keys? So we're like going around looking for our keys and our keys are in our pocket the whole time. Or they're right in our briefcase or they're right in our jacket, right where we left them. We just never bothered to check. That's what Jesus is saying. You're walking around with a set of keys in your pocket. You're walking around with peace in your life and you're never checking the the very place that it is. interesting but you know what we're all like this at times aren't we we're guilty of this kind of stuff I I think of the story in John chapter 6 and this is it's interesting because Paul talks in Philippians 4 he tells us to set our minds on Christ that we should live a life of basically gratitude 
uh, live a life of prayer and, and gratitude and thanksgiving. And in that kind of environment, we begin to realize peace. Now, there's a reason that Paul refers to that, and it's very connected to this scripture in Ephesians 6 about peace, because it's the same writer, it's the same thinking. What Paul's saying is you have to remind yourself of what God has done in your life. And the power in that is it's literally like reminding yourself where your keys are. So there's this cool story in John chapter 6, for instance, right? It's the story where the multitudes get fed. One of the, one of the accounts of that, uh, one of those stories. Anyway, the disciples are freaking out, right? They're freaking out. Jesus has been preaching for hours. And all of a the sudden, they realize we've got thousands of people here, men, women, and children, and we don't have any food for them. We don't have a lot of money. We've got a couple hundred bucks. It's not going to be enough to feed this crowd. Even if there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken around here, actually, it would be Chick-fil-A, wouldn't it? It's more, uh, yeah. Anyway, if, even if there were something like that here. We don't have enough money for it. But now listen, so it's John chapter six. Nobody thinks about asking Jesus to do something. All they say is we are freaking out. Now, at this point, they have already experienced Jesus turning water into wine. He's healed leprosy. He's healed a centurion servant that wasn't even in his presence. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Maybe that was part of the problem. He, he, he calmed a violent storm. He healed a paralytic. He healed a woman sick for 12 years. He's raised a girl from the dead not by now. He's driven out evil spirits. He's healed demon-possessed uh, uh, in a cemetery. He's healed the man who's been an invalid for 38 years. He has filled two boats with fish to the point where they're overflowing and beginning to sink. And nobody thinks to say, Jesus, could you help us out here? We're in, we don't know what to do. And that's what happens to us. It's like, it doesn't even have to be like a tragedy. It's like, there's just a lot of people to feed here. That can get pretty unsettling. But that's, that happens to us. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm here. Just, just help. Ask help. Ask for peace. Just ask. Now Listen. It's important when we talk about peace that there doesn't become this inference that if, if you're struggling with anxiety or worry or some of these big problems that we all at times have to wrestle with, some of us to a greater extent than others, it's important that we realize that what, what isn't being said, listen, life starts, your life starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. And whatever happens in between it might involve therapists and doctors. It might involve counselors and spiritual directors. It might involve life group leaders and pastors. It might involve groups of friends that surround you and encourage you and, and, and help you on your way. It may involve people loaning you money at times and helping you with that anxiety of financial lack. The reality of it is, is life starts with Jesus and ends with Jesus and all of those other things get played into. But what Jesus is saying is, count on me. Just count on me. 
Don't be afraid to do your process. I am peace and I am with you. And I got to tell you that I think we men are more guilty of, of not relying on the things that we can access than anybody. I, I remember not too long ago, a while back actually, I was talking to a, a, a guy and he was really full of anxiety. And I said, you know, I, I think it might be a good idea for you to maybe make an appointment with a therapist and just talk to somebody. I mean, I'll, I'll keep talking to you, but somebody that really knows how to help you with what's going on. See, Jesus is in that stuff if, it's, if, if you do the process properly. And he looked at me and he says, I don't want anybody to know I have anxiety. I told him, I said, we all know you have anxiety. You're not kidding anybody. But see, the enemy tries to hold us in bondage, in our anxiety, in our worrying. And in fairness to we men, it's been man up, right? Man up. This is a new generation, guys. It's man down. And the first place we should be is on our knees. We should be praying, we should be worshiping, we should be accessing the peace that has been given to all of us. Now listen, we all know that panic and worry and strife and those kinds of things, it literally is like a disease and it's catchy. It can like spread like wildfire. All you got to do is watch on Black Friday, see what happens at Walmart, right? It's like that is contagious panic. Like it's just crazy. People get crazy. They just like freak out. Imagine what it would be like because peace, I would contend, is even more powerful and more attractive I think that the most powerful evangelistic tool in your life and mine is living in the peace that has been given to us. We live in a world where people are desperate, including us, for peace. And if we can live into this as, as individuals and as, as a people, we, we haven't seen anything yet. If we can live at a different level into the peace of Christ, if we can put our gospel shoes on, the good news of God's peace that's been given to us, that Jesus is our peace, that no matter what's going on, we can walk in peace. You watch what starts to happen. Because uncertainty is not going away. And you can read the stats till they really discourage you because they only, they only just show more evidence that it's getting more intense. And peace, which is your promise and mine, is available to all of us. So Father, in Jesus' name, so grateful that you are our peace, Jesus. I pray for any of my friends in the room here that have 
not come to that place before in their life where they've given their life to you. And I just pray for them. I pray, God, that perhaps this would be the day that they would start at that place, just making peace in their relationship with you. Repenting of their sins and just asking you into their life. And then, God, I pray for all of us. We have all experienced and seen the power of peace. So we pray, we access it even now as we pray. We access the peace of God. We access that anointing that breaks the power of worry and turmoil and anxiety and stress in our lives. Speak healing over my friends. There's some in this room, God, that their body is ailing and it it has either been created out of stress or it's been exacerbated because of stress. I speak to those. I speak to each and every one of those bodies. Speak peace over everyone's physical body in this room. Speak relief. We come to you today, Jesus. And we receive your peace. In Jesus' name.